In the run-up to the 2019 provincial election, there were a lot of emotional issues that were deployed by a lot of political parties to try to keep people from talking about bigger issues that the province of Alberta was actually facing. One of the most contentious, though, has to be the debate that occurred around GSAs. Today, we want to revisit that debate a little. For those of you that are unfamiliar with what a GSA is, GSA stands for Gay Straight Alliance, and they're effectively school clubs that exist to create places where LGBTQ2S plus youth can interact with other youth, gay and straight, without fear of bullying or judgment. They aren't instructional. They aren't curriculum. They're no different than a chess club or a sports team. They also require adult supervision, just like a chess club or a sports team. But there are a few people for whom topics like LGBTQ2S plus issues are incredibly uncomfortable, to say nothing of those topics existing inside of the education system. But here's the thing. Whether or not you want LGBTQ2S plus youth to be a topic of conversation in schools, they absolutely are. There are LGBTQ2S plus students in every school, some living out and some not. And some of them have parents that would disown them if they tried to live their true selves. That's part of the reason why GSAs are so important. While the NDP was in power, they introduced new legislation to ensure that kids had access to GSAs in a timely manner. That bill was called Bill 24, an act to support gay-straight alliances. The crux of that bill was that it made it a legal requirement that if a student requested that their school start a GSA, the school had to do so and had to do so in a timely manner. And lots of people lost their minds over it. In particular, though, religious schools came especially unglued. For some, the prospect that they would have to acknowledge the existence of LGBTQ2S plus youth as simply a fact and not an abomination was a bridge too far. So, arguments were constructed. Some people argued that a parent should be notified if their kid joined a GSA. It's a parental right, they said. Never mind the argument that if your child feels accepted and has a relationship with their parents where they aren't fearful of a parent's condemnation for simply being who they are, that child can simply tell the parents themselves. No. Some parents were concerned that their kids would feel the need to hide their true selves from them, and if they joined a GSA, they had a right to know. Others argued that GSAs are secret sex clubs. Well, no more so than any locker room for any sports team. And then the stories started to circulate. And that's what we're here to talk about today. The source of the vast majority of these stories can be traced back largely to a court case filed by the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, or the JCCF. The JCCF is the organization that has deeply religious roots and regularly takes up causes that they perceive infringe on freedoms, particularly religious freedoms, and file lawsuits. They're the ones behind multiple actions on masking, health restrictions, and before the election, they filed a, both a suit and against Bill 24 and then an appeal. That appeal included multiple affidavits from relatively anonymous sources that had some pretty sweeping claims about going-ons in GSAs. The Crown objected heavily to the use of these affidavits. They were self-contradictory, misleading, and full of emotionally loaded language that had no bearing on their actual contents. A judge determined them to be hearsay and unreliable. But they were reported on heavily, particularly by right-wing, deeply religious opinion columnists. And from the original affidavits, they morphed into stories that pundits and politicians picked up and used. 
Here's the leader of here's the then leader of the opposition, Jason Kenney, in the leadership debate prior to the election. Uh, under the premier's bill, um, a child was recently taken out of class during school hours by somebody who wasn't uh, without the knowledge or consent of the parents to go to a out of school conference. That's something I think most parents would probably be a bit troubled by. Now, Kenny, ever being the deliberately vague wordsmith, doesn't make it clear what affidavit he was referring to. But there is one person who took major issue with his use of that vague story. One of the affidavits introduced by the JCCF in their appeal on Bill 24 was one that detailed a person who attended an event where multiple speakers spoke on a variety of issues. One of those speakers spoke about her experiences volunteering to ensure that her community kids had access to a GSA. Now, we've read the affidavit, and to call it a vague hit piece full of innuendo and suggestion would, in our opinion, be giving it far more credibility than it's due. It is a third or fourth hand version of the speaker's talk. We are extremely proud to be able to try to help and correct the record and welcome the person who presented that talk and who volunteered her time and her energy to ensure that LGBTQ2S plus youth had a safe place to be who they are. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Maria. So it's it's Maria Delu, uh, and you're joining us from from not Alberta today, if I'm right. No, I'm actually in Regina, Saskatchewan. Okay, well, yeah, based on the COVID numbers that we had come out today, that might be a good thing for you. Um, I don't, I don't know. Our city actually has the highest rate of variants in the country right now, apparently. So. Well, we'll we'll see you that, and we'll raise you our twenty four hundred new cases today. <laughs> I'm I'm very happy where I am. Yeah. So uh, we're not here to talk about COVID today, though. Um, I mean, we can wander to it if we want to, but uh, the main thing that we're here to talk about is your involvement with uh, GSAs uh, and how that turned into a much a uh, bigger deal than I would be willing to bet that you ever thought you were signing up for. Yeah. So to start with, um, let's go all the way back to the, the beginning of your involvement with GSAs. When you started working with uh, GSAs, what sort of, uh, I know that you've talked about this in other places, but I want to be able to present the whole, whole story. Uh, when you started working with GSAs, what prompted you to do that? So many years ago, I heard a story about a girl in the States and her name was Leela. And I have never forgotten the story and I've never forgotten what she looked like, but um, Leela was transgender. And when her parents found out that she was, uh, they pulled her out of school and they isolated her at home. uh, And they did everything they could to convince her that she was actually a boy and that that was how she was supposed to live her life. Leela didn't actually survive this treatment from her parents. Uh, she, um, she ended her own life in a very uh, determined and brutal fashion. Uh, and it was actually that, that that made me think about, you know, how helpless and alone she must have felt that she was so determined that there couldn't possibly be any hope for her. And uh, I never wanted another kid to feel that way again. So it was soon after I'd heard her story that I contacted my local high school to find out if they had um, any kind of GSA club that I could support in any way. Um, At the time they actually didn't have one. And uh, I did chat with uh, one of the school staff for a little bit. Um, 
And that was that was kind of the end uh, because of course it's a, the kind of thing that has to be student led. Um, but a couple of years after that conversation, uh, there were students who came forward and asked if they could start a GSA. And the uh, staff member actually remembered me and she emailed me and asked if I wanted to be involved. Um, and I was, I was really surprised uh, and really excited, actually. Um, I didn't know what it would look like. No one really knew what it, it would look like to have a community member supporting, but um, I just you know, told her, tell me when and where and I will be there. So I started attending uh, and it wasn't very long before uh, I kind of found my role within GSA and it was mostly in just an, a supportive and affirming way, just another adult who was there uh, who could jump in and, and tell the kids like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, you're not broken. This is all very normal. There are, you know, there are people out in the world who are just like you and there are people who are really excited to meet you when you become an adult. And um, one, of, one of the other big things that I was able to do for the GSA kids though uh, was um, if we had a field trip or an off-campus activity that was going on, um, I'm like a full-fledged grown-up uh, with two million liability on my car insurance. So I was actually able to drive students uh, to uh, other GSA events, uh, which was kind of a big deal. So, and you started doing this all in around 2017, right? Yes, I, I believe so. Okay, and that was about the same time that a, a certain politician was starting to 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 make his rise here in Alberta, um, which will become part of the story in just a, a little bit. Um, but before we get to that part, uh, it sounds like from from what I've sort of been able to tell, it sounds like you had a pretty big impact on not just the the community that you were working in, but that you also had uh, people people asked you to speak at things. Um, and so you spoke at a conference in 2018, right? I did. So uh, actually, I offered to speak at the conference. Okay. Uh, it was a friend of mine who was organizing it, and she had one of her presenters cancel last minute. Um, the theme of the conference was uh, everyday activism. And I said, well, you know, if you need someone to fill a half an hour slot, I could probably talk about volunteering at GSAs. Um, and I was mostly doing it as, you know, a favorite herb, but what I realized uh, during the talk and then later in the Q and A and with people approaching me afterwards um, is that uh, for me, I had been attending for long enough that it wasn't mysterious, but because GSAs were so in the public conversation because of Bill 24, people were really, really curious they were really interested in what I had to say. I got a lot of questions uh, and yeah, it was, uh, I was actually really surprised at how interested people were after I had given my presentation. When did you find out that somebody had attended that conference uh, and that they had sworn this, quite frankly, ugly uh, affidavit for the JCCF to use in, in their appeal? I think it was December. Um, yeah, it, it was around December, right before Christmas, actually, because I remember uh, when I was trying to get a hold of people to tell the actual real story, um, I was concerned that I was going to miss people's office hours over the Christmas break. Um, okay. So it, it was kind of a bit of a frantic, you know, please call me back, please call me back. 
Um, what uh, I found out about the affidavit after the hearing, the particular hearing that it was uh, uh, relevant at. Um, so it had already been presented to the judge and the newspapers had already uh, printed information about it. By so the you time didn't I have, even heard of it. You didn't have any idea that, that your talk was being, I'm going to go ahead and use the word manipulated uh, for evidence in this, in this appeal. No, I had no idea. Okay. Um, how did, so how did you find out? Was it just in the newspaper or? Actually, uh, the person who, by the time I reached the newspapers, it was so convoluted that I don't know that I would have recognized myself without, uh, being able to follow the breadcrumbs back because of course, what was printed in the newspaper was not what I had been doing. Um, but, uh, the friend of mine who was organizing the conference, actually someone had sent her, uh, a link to the affidavit and then she forwarded it on to me. Um, okay. and, uh, that, so I, I mean, I was able to start following breadcrumbs from that end of things because my name and photograph are in the affidavit. Like it's absolutely me that they're talking about. With, with the affidavit, um, the, it seems like there was some sort of really uh, horrible game of telephone that got played with it. Because in reading the affidavit and then comparing that to the, the statements that were made in court and then comparing that to what was reported on in the media, in particular uh, Corbella's column, um, it went from the the crap that was in the affidavit, quite frankly, mm -hmm. to accusations that you had been taking students off of uh, campus or off of the, the school grounds uh, and hosting events without parents' permission. Um, yeah, so the affidavit didn't make that claim. Yeah. The affidavit simply said that I was taking students off campus and that I was hosting them in my home or driving them to other towns, which is true. Um, now, in my presentation during the Q&A session, I made it very clear that I had never done so without parental permission that no student had ever left with me, uh, been in my home without explicitly getting permission from their parents. Like I, I would make them call right in front of me to ensure that everything was on the up and up. Uh, and the person who submitted the affidavit knew this because there were other parts of the Q&A session that were quoted in the affidavit. So it's not as if this was information that they didn't have. He had the information. He simply left it out of the affidavit. And he didn't claim that I was doing so without permission. But by the time the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms uh, had filed a brief in the case, they had made that claim. And so then they presented it in court. I believe it was Jay Cameron, who was the uh, lawyer who presented uh, this particular case in court. Um, he made that claim, presumably in front of a judge. And then it was picked up by the media. And uh, so by the time the media got it, 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 the story was facilitator who doesn't work at the school, doesn't have children uh, enrolled in the school is taking students off campus to her home without parental permission. And that's not what has happened. It's not what happened at all. Um, but being able to follow the breadcrumbs from that direction, I was able to, to realize it was me that they were talking about. I, I, I gotta say, like, I, 
I completely understand why the the judge uh, rejected the the affidavits. Not only because there's the the three big ones are, are are sort of the the ones that that are contentious. One of them is uh, of course the one with the 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 kid who was not taken by you, but apparently somebody else to a, a convention. And even that affidavit is 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 profoundly inconsistent. Uh, and and I, I find myself wondering how the JCCF collected these affidavits because they are are written with such a a clear bias uh and they are so profoundly prejudicial i mean the one that that refers to you and and your work with the gsa the the opening line past the introduction is immediately trying to 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 paint you in a negative light completely separate from your work with the the gsa um so now you were watching all of this unfold and back then, you did make some efforts to try to offer some clarity on the situation. Yes, I did. So, can you talk so a bit about that? Uh, well, my first reaction to finding out about the affidavit, obviously, was to go to the, the high school <laughs> um, and and say, "Hey, you know, this is these claims have been made, and I just want you to know that this is not true." Um, so I did uh, alert the high school that the claims were being made. And then um, to be honest with you, I don't recall which order I did things in, but I did call a friend of mine who is a litigator so that I could get her legal advice immediately. Um, I did contact, uh, I Googled the name of one of the attorneys that I'd found in the paperwork uh, just to, to be like, hey, you know, if you wanna talk to me about this, if this is relevant, like this is my number. Um, and he, I did eventually speak with him and he's the one who explained to me that, uh, um, that particular piece of evidence wasn't actually allowed to be used. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't going to impact, uh, what was happening there. But I also, um, another one of my big concerns, of course, was that, you know, once the story is in the media, I mean, public opinion matters in this kind of thing, as obviously we've seen. Um, so I did have contacts, uh, within the NDP, so I got a hold of them, um, and uh, uh, by the time, by the time it like I was in contact with someone high enough, I had already spoken with my friend, and uh, her advice, you know, eventually came out to be, you know, it, nobody knows who you are, nobody knows uh, which high school it is, um, you know, it's not going to impact the case. It might be best to just let it go. Um, so that, that was kind of where I fell, um, in that I wasn't planning on really pursuing it much further. Um, and then of course the election and, uh, uh, the justice center for constitutional freedom got what they wanted because the UCP, uh, replaced bill 24 with, I don't recall if it was the school act that they replaced with the education act or the, the other way around, but either way, um, students in Alberta lost. Uh, their right to gather in GSAs and to have privacy within them. So, mm-hmm. and it was, I think, one of the things that was particularly telling. You, you talk about how the JCCF got what they wanted immediately after the the UCP made the changes to the legislation to take away the immediacy of uh, accessibility to the GSAs, uh, as well as uh, some other things. Uh, the JCCF dropped their appeal. Yeah. 
Um, so it's pretty, it's, it, it seems to me, it was pretty clear what the, the JCCF was after. Has, has well, and, and to be honest with you, um, because I, I followed it fairly closely. And as far as I'm aware, bill 24 withstood every, uh, every lawsuit aimed at it. You know, they didn't lose even one time. Um, and I think, uh, I think it could be argued that the justice center for constitutional freedom probably knew that, um, and that, you know, the purpose of using an affidavit like the one that that had my name in it was more to sway public opinion in an election than it really was to um, actually win in front of a judge. It's it certainly strikes me as very odd that they would introduce not one but multiple affidavits that the the lawyer or sorry, the, the judge rejected, because it, it, it seems to me if you're a lawyer who's any good at all you'd probably be able to take a look at the the quality of the affidavits and the statement in the affidavits and go, Oh, if I drag this in front of a judge, it's, it's going to get laughed out of court. And so, you know, I can't help but wonder if, if you're not onto something there with the fact that, I mean, either they've got crap lawyers or there was a certain element of sensationalism and we've certainly seen. I mean, uh, it could be both. Yeah, let's be, let's sure. be fair. It could be both. <laughs> <laughs> very real i'm not saying that it is but it could be yeah uh <laughs> we've certainly seen some behavior that some people would probably call sensationalistic from the jc's <laughs> over the last little while uh so it wouldn't it could be both i suppose um what was there ever any discussion i mean i know that you you weren't explicitly named but the fact that you were able to figure it out kind of implies that that other people probably had the ability to figure it out as well. I mean, certainly I would assume that anyone who was at the conference uh, who saw the affidavit would be able to go, I know what they're talking about. Um, was there any ever any conversation around sort of legal action that might be accessible to you? Uh, yeah, I did speak with uh, my litigator friend about it. Um, and uh, there, there was some technicalities involved. Uh, she basically told me that I didn't really have a very good case just because there are protections around things like uh, the brief that was filed and, and such, because um, you know, I, I don't recall exactly what she told me. I think that in general, they consider there to be some distance between uh, what's said in an affidavit and then what is presented by possibly a different lawyer in, in court. Um, you know, and either way, you know, that's fine because I, I really, I don't want to fall into the trap of centering myself in this conversation. Um, even though I'm the person uh, who was in the affidavit and, you know, was, uh, was slandered, I suppose, in this case, um, I wasn't the target and I'm really not actually the victim of what the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom did. Um, it, you know, it's, it was, it was LGBTQ youth and, and their access to GSAs that were the actual victim of what happened here. So, um, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, if I was going to take legal action or what the next steps are. And I mean, to be honest, the next steps for me are to make sure that LGBTQ youth have the support uh, that they need, because that's what it's always been about for me. Now, I don't envy the position that you were in when all of this started going down, because had I, my understanding is had you chosen to come forward at that time, it would have not only identified you, but it would have identified very easily the school that you were, you were doing this at. Yeah. How, how, how 
talk a little bit about that that decision. Uh, um, so I was actually uh, approached to go on uh, Ryan Jesperson's radio program to come forward about the truth. It was a couple weeks before the election. Um, and I really, I struggled with the decision uh, and I did speak with the school board actually about the decision and they really didn't want me to do it. Um, and I definitely understand their position. You know, I, I like, I realized that I did go on <laughs> um, in, in spite of them not wanting me to, uh, but I don't think that they were wrong in their position. I think all of us were really trying to prioritize uh, protecting the kids in the GSA that I was volunteering at. Um, and I really, I felt really torn about it because uh, when Jason Kenney mentioned the incident on the Charles Adler program, um, I realized that, you know, this lie had gotten so big and so prominent that it really, really had the potential to hurt uh, all of the GSAs in Alberta, um, which, you know, obviously it did. And uh, I kind of had to weigh um, the harm between protecting uh, the kids that I knew and loved and, and spent time with every week against uh, making sure that students all over Alberta could still have access to their GSAs. And so uh, the decision that I came to was that I would uh, do the interview um, and I would do it anonymously. And uh, there were a couple questions that were asked um, that I felt uh, really had the potential to lead people to uh, the affidavit that had my name and the high school very clearly printed in it. So I kind of, I, I refused to answer those questions, but um, Ryan did a really, he was very respectful of my privacy and I really mm -hmm. appreciated that. So, And I think it's important to clarify that when we're talking about Mr. Kenny referencing the the affidavits it wasn't just one instance on the the charles adler program uh he also obliquely referenced it uh during the leadership debate which was a provincially televised debate so there's there's an argument to be made that you know while the charles adler interview certainly got a lot of attention because of of how uh, sensational it was um but I would be willing to argue that the viewership for the provincial uh, leadership debate, if not comparable, probably exceeded it, at least in Alberta. Yeah. Um, and he doubled down on it uh, during that debate as well and repeated the same sort of vague notion that parents weren't being consulted about their kids uh, being taken to events. Mm -hmm. um, I'm curious if, if you could say something to Mr. Kenny. Uh, about his use of, of the, the JCCF affidavits that, again, were rejected by a judge. Mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you want to say to him? I mean, so many things, I suppose. I mean, I suppose I would give him a piece of advice, actually. And what I would tell him is that when you keep company with the kind of people uh, who do things and say things that John Carpe does... Um, you run the risk of uh, making yourself look like a fool because you're repeating information from someone who has clearly demonstrated that they are not, not the kind of person that you want to be taking information from. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is about choosing your friends and your associates wisely. Do you think that it behooves somebody who is running for the highest office in a province to make sure that the, I mean, at the point where 
he re- repeated that at the very least at the leadership race, those affidavits had been rejected by the judge. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that it behooves somebody who's running for the highest office in a province to uh, make sure that they're not repeating outright falsehoods? I mean, I, we didn't, we did an interview with, with Rachel Antley a while back. We did an interview uh, with Marie Renault uh, and both of them were quite vocal about the this premier's willingness to if not mislead outright lie to people mm-hmm. um is I, i'm curious you're, you're in regina now mm-hmm. how much of that has to do with what's been going on in alberta for the last two years uh not a lot to be honest with you okay. um Just got lucky. Yeah. uh yeah it's something like that um but I mean, does it does it behoove someone to make sure that they're telling the truth when they're up there? I mean, I don't know. It it certainly seems to have worked for him. You know, I think it behooves someone to make sure that they're telling the truth if they want to be a leader of integrity. Right. Um, Like. Being an MLA, being premier of a province, you know, that's a role of service and a role of leadership. if you're going to be a good leader, and I don't mean, you know, a successful elected leader, I mean, someone who's actually good at the job once you've gotten it. Yeah, of course, it behooves you to be the kind of person who makes sure that the things that you're saying are actually accurate. Okay. Unfortunately, I don't know that we're in a situation where, um, you know, the, the gig seems to be more about getting elected than actually doing the job well once you're there. You're, you're, I think there's a lot of people who would agree with that assessment, um, which is, I think, unfortunate. Um, have you kept, so now you, you did that anonymously, the election happened, the UCP did what they were, were going to do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only in the last little while that you've started talking about this, this issue again, which I think is really, really important. And I want to thank you for, for a being willing to come forward at all and B being willing to come on our, our little show. Um, because the, the concern that I have is that there are still a lot of people who believe the, the stuff that was said in that affidavits is true. Uh, and I think that it's, it's critical that people understand that at the very least, for sure, the stuff that said that was said about your affidavit was, was not true. Uh, and that the other affidavits were so questionable that the the judge rejected them. Mm-hmm. Um, what what was it that made you want to want to come back and 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 raise the alarm about this again? But this uh, time with your, with your name and everything, like this is this is a different gig. Yeah. Um, well, there's uh, there are other safety measures in place at this point. All of the GSA kids uh, that I had at the time have now graduated, so they're adults, and there's you know, no risk that they will be hurt by uh, me coming forward. Um, Like to to a small extent, a little bit to clear my name uh, because I I did actually get a new job in December. And um, when my employer was doing the, you know, regular Googling, uh, he actually did come across, uh, you know, they they did a really bad job of redacting my name out of uh, the paperwork on their website. And, uh, you know, in some cases they didn't even try to redact it at all. So, I mean, that showed up for my employer and luckily I got the job anyway. Um, so there's a small bit of that, but the biggest reason that I wanted to start talking about this again, though, is because we are a year into COVID and, uh, 
I don't know that there are a lot of schools that are doing their, G their GSA mates over Zoom. Uh, there might be a few, but I think on the whole, GSAs just aren't happening in, in the schools in Alberta anymore. And um, GSAs are about connection and connecting with uh, your peers and people who are like you um, or support you. And, uh, you know, we're all feeling very disconnected this year, but that is, that, that cannot help but be felt so much more by kids who, you know, when the world is normal, are, are often disconnected and uh, feeling alone. And so I really just, I really appreciate the platform to be able to um, like draw people's attention to that. And as well as, you know, just say right out loud that, you know, I, I love these kids and I really, I really want them to make it. I hope that if they hear this, that they see light and that they keep going. I think that, that you raise an excellent point about the, the, even the zoom piece, I think is, is problematic. I mean, my, my read on the, the whole situation with the GSAs and the parents who lost their minds over it are the, the whole privacy notion I really struggle with because I, I think it's, it's, it's kind of bullshit. Um, the, at the end of the day, and I say this as a parent of two kids, uh, and at the end of the day, if my kids aren't comfortable talking about these issues with me, that's on me. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a big believer of that. And so when kids for whatever reason, aren't comfortable talking with their parents about incredibly complex issues of identity like this. Mm -hmm. I think that it's absolutely critical that they have that space where they can do that. But with COVID, you know, I think of uh, so many kids are doing their, their, their classwork uh, and, and their online interactions in, in shared spaces in the house. Yeah. And so even if a school does have the, the online GSA available, the concern that I have is that it's the, the kids who are the most vulnerable who are going to have the greatest difficulty accessing those spaces. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, I worry for them. I worry about them a lot. Are you aware of any organizations or, or platforms that exist outside of schools where, where kids can connect over like a, is there like an Alberta GSA or a Saskatchewan GSA or just a, I'm, I'm old. So I'm thinking of, uh, <laughs> Um, so I used to know of quite a few more when I was kind of knee deep in it. Um, but the one that always comes to mind for me is Skipping Stone Foundation, which is based out of Calgary. Uh, and these folks are amazing. They save lives every single day. Uh, so um, uh, if you, so Skipping Stone Foundation uh, is geared towards trans transgender youth. Uh, and they do weekly Zoom meets uh, for anyone. Uh, they're province-wide, so anyone in Alberta who would like to join their Zoom meets can do that. Um, and as far as I can tell, they've done a really, really great job of keeping, you know, as many kids connected throughout the pandemic as possible. So props to them. And um, they're on, they're a nonprofit. So I mean, if you got some extra change kicking around, please go and donate because they are they're really amazing. Perfect. Um, I'm curious, have you kept in touch? Like from, from listening to the, the speech that you gave at the, the, the conference, because you were kind enough to, to, to provide some audio of that. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like you had a, 
a pretty special relationship with 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 a lot of these kids that were in the GSA. Have you have you kept in touch with any of them? Yeah, uh, several of them. Yes. Are they doing okay? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, things are up and down. Uh, I mean, no one's really doing okay right now. <laughs> Given the circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they're all adults. And so they're in that, you know, weird kind of transition stage of figuring out who they're going to be and what they're going to do. And some of them have gone off to college and university and some of them are still at home and, you know, haven't figured things out yet. And, and that's okay. But uh, they, they have my phone number and they know how to get a hold of me and they do reach out every now and then. So. Okay. Um, what would you like? I'm curious based on your experiences with the GSA, um, what would you want I mean, I know that there's a lot of misconceptions that exist about GSAs. I, I have I've, I have never attended one. I'll just throw that out there. So I don't know um, anything really other than what I've, I've has been shared with me. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And I, I certainly have spoken to people myself who have these concerns that they're something like what was represented in the JCCF affidavits, where they're they're just like rampant sex clubs and, and there's there's porn on multiple screens, or I don't know what, what would, what would you want parents to know about what a GSA is? Um, well, a couple of things I think. And the first is that, uh, they're really boring, you know, like they're not, the, the sensationalism always makes me laugh because m- mostly I was sitting through conversations about cosplay and anime and, you know, whatever TV shows the kids were enjoying at the time. And, um, it, it, that's that's the bulk of them is just you know kids hanging out talking about what they like and they're teenagers so that doesn't generally interest me but uh um the other takeaway the other thing that I would say to parents uh is um you know regardless of how they feel about about uh bill 24 and the privacy surrounding GSAs and etc um I've been in the room when kids have come out, um, I've been the, the first person, the adult, uh, that, that they've come out to. I had one, uh, student ask me, they were 18 at the time. They asked me to go for a coffee with them. And I said, okay. And they came out to me as transgender that day. And I was one of the first people that they told, um, having been that person, uh, your kids really, really want you to know, like they don't want that to be a secret from you. They come to GSA for connection with their peers, but they also really want it from you. And like, it's, it's your job as a parent to provide that safe space for them because if they haven't come to you um, and you know, they're probably working on it. I know that that was GSA was kind of a step in that direction for a lot of the students that attended the one that I volunteered at, you know, they would come, they would come out to their peers and it was usually, you know, within a couple of weeks, a couple of months that they would have the conversation with their parents. Um, you know, it was kind of, they were clearly coming, you know, to, to make sure that they had backup and support if things didn't go well at home. Um, but like, it doesn't have to be like that. You know, you can go to your kid before you think that they need to know and you can have a conversation with them about gender identity or sexual orientation or you know uh any of those things if they're feeling like they're not fitting into any of society's boxes and you can make it really clear to them that you're a safe person um 
Now, that being said, there's a step two to that, uh, because if you've made that clear to your child um, and they don't believe you, <laughs> that's actually also your responsibility to fix. Mm. Um, so you need to be making sure that you're living your life in a way that demonstrates that you're you're a person that they can trust with that. You know, don't tell homophobic jokes. Don't tell transphobic jokes. You know, demonstrate that you can respect people's pronouns and that, you know, you're not uncomfortable uh, with public displays of affection between same-sex couples, right? Like you, you have to actually demonstrate to your children uh, that they really are safe to come out with you. And bottom line is they're going to because they really want to. The crux of this issue to me and where, where the, the problems all start is when you have parents who are uncomfortable for whatever reason, with the idea of uh, their kids being LGBTQ2S+. Um, what would you, I, 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 for, a, for a parent who, say, I just want to say is just wrong. Um, <laughs> but, but for a parent who, for whatever reason, is uncomfortable or more with, with that idea, what would you what would you want them to hear? And then I've got a second part that I want to ask after you you say that. I mean, I I suppose I would be curious about why they decided to become a parent. I mean, we don't get to pick our kids, right? And and our kids don't get to pick us. And I mean, these are things that are intrinsic to their identity. Um, and not only that, like I, I just want to be very clear too that like um, there are there are also things that are wonderful about their identity. You know, it's not, I don't, I don't ever want to give the impression that we should tolerate our LGBTQ plus oh, kids. No. no, that, no, this is, these are things that should be celebrated. This is wonderful. Um, so, you know, if you're a parent who's uncomfortable with it, I, I would question, you know, why, I mean, like, you know, when you decided to have children, you must've recognized to some extent that there were going to be things about them that you didn't understand that they're a separate person from you. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to just bluntly say get over it, but I don't really know what else to say besides that, you know, like <laughs> that's your kid. Yeah. Well, your, I your job is to love wrong, them. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, listen, I get it. Like I was raised in an extremely religiously conservative environment and like there was a portion of my life where I was uncomfortable with certain things too. Um, you know, I am also the type of person who I tend to push through my discomfort uh, because I'm a curious person and I want to know, you know, there are lots and lots of resources out there for you. And I would really just encourage you to, to place love for your child above your own comfort. Like you can be uncomfortable, you're gonna be fine. <laughs> More importantly than that to me though, um, as, as, as someone who's probably, I'm at, well, let's, I'll just, I'll just ask it this way. Were there any kids in your GSAs who had fears of how their parents would react? Yes, there were. Um, okay. I would say that it was with all of the kids, there was a, like a low level anxiety. And then uh, in most cases, a big wave of relief because most of the parents were very affirming. Um, there was one, uh, there was one student who met a great deal of resistance from one of their parents upon coming out to them. 
Uh, and as far as I'm aware, that's a struggle that they still have right now. Um, they, they do have resources. They were able to get those resources from uh, the adults at the GSA. Um, so they do have support. Uh, and then we had, I do recall one student who came to GSA uh, after having come out to their parents and uh, their, their father's response to them was, you can be bisexual, but not under my roof. Um, so the, the deal, what, the, what was made clear to the student was that, you know, if you insist on doing this bisexual thing, then I'm going to kick you out of the house. Uh, so that wasn't, like that was rare most of the time uh, the students had very affirming parents so they had support at home uh, but yes we absolutely did have students that uh, um, that had good reason to be afraid those those are the ones that 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 I worry about the most um, and and with the I mean with the changes to the legislation as well as as with covid, those are the ones that I fear for for the most. Um, and 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 full disclosure, uh, I have a huge bias on this this issue because in my work as a paramedic, unfortunately, I do have to see the results of what happens when these kids are. I would call it emotionally abused by their parents with mm -hmm. rejection, um, and I'm I'm so very very tired of having to deal with that. What would you say to kids based on your experience with the GSA uh, and based on your experience with the kids, seeing the kids and, and, and trying to help the kids who struggled with parents who lacked, I keep wanting to say compassion or humanity, but whatever the word is, mm -hmm. what would you say to those kids? Um, I would encourage them to hold on. Uh, and I, I would never diminish what they're feeling right now. Um, you know, that, that feeling of loneliness and isolation uh, is legitimate uh, because of what they're experiencing. But I, what I would want them to know, though, is that it genuinely isn't forever. And I know that, you know, so many adults say that to you when you're young. Um, but I have spent uh, a good portion of my adulthood being involved with the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, and, you know, these people are really excited to meet you. You know, like they, when, when you become an adult and you join the wider adult world and you encounter these people, they're so happy that you made it. You know, they've been where you are uh, and your community is going to catch you. I know that it looks bleak now. And I know that, you know, you might be, two years, four years away from independence. Uh, and that seems like an, an eternity when you're 13, 14. Um, but I promise you that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I promise you there is. So please, I know that it hurts right now, but please just hold on. I think that's a, a really important message. And I think, you know, I, I've had the privilege of interviewing a few folks from the, the LGBTQ2S plus community over the, the last two years with the show. And uh, there's they're some of my favorite people to talk with. Um, it, it, 
I mean, what you what you said there about these are people who have lived through it and, and by and large of it have gotten through to the other side. It is heartbreaking to me that 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 is the the cause of joy um, that that somebody had to survive prejudice and 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 all of the the stuff that goes with having potentially a parent who doesn't accept you for who you are. Um, but I think that it's important to highlight that there, there are so many people out there who have, I'm not one of them, but who have real lived experience with that piece who, who are waiting to, to catch these kids, because Mm -hmm. I think that's, it's such an important message for kids to hear. Um, are there any resources other I mean, the stepping stone, I'm, I'm familiar with them. And I think the stepping stone. Skipping stones, stone. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> long day. Uh, they they have an amazing reputation. They do a lot of incredible work. Are there any other resources that you'd like to make sure that kids are aware of? Uh, you know, I, I think it used to be called the Calgary Sexual Health Network. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I just, I've been too, too long out of uh, this particular bit of activism to uh, remember which resources. I do know though, that if you contact Skipping Stone Foundation that they will absolutely be able able to direct you to a more appropriate organization if they don't have what you're looking for. Okay. I'm also curious, one of the the things that has always kind of had me wondering uh, is, you know, I I think that there's, obviously the priority has to be the kids. That's, that's a no brainer for me. Mm -hmm. Are you aware of any organizations that are doing any work to try to help parents grow is how I'll phrase it cautiously. So actually that's a big part of what Skipping Stone does. So if you're a parent who is looking for resources uh, and, or if you're, if you're a parent who has a bunch of questions about your child because they've just come out as transgender to you, Skipping Stone can absolutely hook you up. Perfect. That's yeah. so uh, we're just going to say wonderful things about Skipping Stone. For I know because they are just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, those folks. I'm curious, is there, is there anything that you would have done differently in regards to the way that the whole thing played out. And the, I know I asked you earlier, we'll do this as a two-parter because I'm really bad at those uh, for doing those. Um, I know that I asked you earlier, if there's anything that you would say to Mr. Kenny, Mm. I can't help but wonder also if there's anything that you'd say to Mr. Carpe. Uh, I would ask Mr. Carpe a question actually, Um, because I, As far as I know, Mr. Carpe is a uh, conservative Christian. Um, yeah, that's that's my understanding of his religious beliefs. Um, and uh, having been raised as a conservative Christian, I do understand uh, that his opposition to uh, things like marriage equality and um, transgender rights, et cetera, stems from his religion. Uh, and I think that what I would like to ask him is in his particular church, at what point did lying stop being a sin? That's what I would like to say to him. Oh, all sins are equal in the eyes of the Lord, they say. Well, they say that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that's that's that puts it right on the nose right there. Uh, yeah. Because I don't I honestly don't know how anyone can look at the the the, the talk that you gave the affidavit that the JCCF chose to present 
um, and how they allowed that story to continue to perpetuate with falsehoods. Mm. Um, I don't know how anyone can look at that and not go. That is a complete, uh, I would argue, professional failure. I would argue it's an ethical failure. And I don't think there's any, any brain power at all required to go that it's certainly a moral failure. Mm. I uh, mean, I think, I think that his character has been quite consistent for a very long time. That's a very gentle way of putting it. <laughs> uh, are you currently working with any, any GSAs or any groups like that? Uh, unfortunately, I am not. Uh, I would like to be. Um, cir many circumstances, uh, COVID, not the least among them, uh, has prevented me uh, from being able to do that. But it is something that I'm hoping that I can do again in the future. So if the uh, because yeah, if the opportunity arose, I would absolutely do it. You know, it was uh, one of the biggest things that I've learned throughout this entire process is what an absolute privilege it is to have relationships with these kids. Um, like we, we talk about, you know, the adulthood and, and the LGBTQ community being, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel um, and having the opportunity to walk into the tunnel to meet kids in the darkness uh, and tell them about the light at the end. It was, it's been such a privilege and I love those kids. I love the ones that I got to know who trusted me with their true selves. And I love the ones that I've never met. Um, I'm always excited to hear about people's trans relatives or their, their gay relatives or, you know, for people come out to me all the time and it's such a privilege to be trusted with that sacred information. And yeah, it's been one of one of the best things that I've ever done with my life. And I really, really do want to get back into doing it again. Yeah, I, the, 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 the privilege uh, and, and the gift, I think, that, that somebody gives when they come out to you, uh, I think is that that really those those that sums it up nicely. Um, I, I'm curious. I've always kind of thought that for all of the the insecurity that some parents seem to feel with the, the prospect of having a kid who's LGBTQ to us plus. Um, do you think there's any, any sort of merit in kind of flipping the script on that and, and, and saying that for all of your insecurity about your kid and, and, and that sort of thing, that's exactly how they feel, but it's the opposite. Is that a wrong read on the situation? No, I mean, one thing that I do know is that they, most of them have a lot of hope. Okay. You know, like they do have anxiety around coming out, but they have hope. And I mean, right now um, we're talking about kids who, you know, they've never lived in a world before Ellen came out. This was always something that I talked about with the kids in the GSA that I volunteered in. Like, I remember when Ellen came out yeah. of the closet. That <laughs> Oprah audience was hostile. Oh, my yeah. goodness, you know? Yeah. Um, but they have always lived in a world where Ellen has been on television and celebrating being a lesbian. Um, and, you know, like, things like Drag Race or... Um, I mean, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of anything else offhand, but like th this has always been in the public eye in their lifetime. That's not the case for people like you and I, you know, we remember these big moments. Um, so these kids have a great deal of hope that their parents will be affirming because that's, 
that tends like they know that it's possible that they won't be, but that tends to be the default these days. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can take the anxiety out of that though, by just being proactive and direct with them. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like people to know about your experience with the GSA, your experience watching your experience with the GSA being turned into one of the ugliest political footballs that I can think of in recent memory? Um, is there anything else you'd like people to hear? I mean, please, when the world goes back to normal and the kids are doing extracurriculars again, please support GSAs, you know, vote for politicians who explicitly support LGBTQ plus rights. Um, and like, you don't need to do what I did. It would probably be super weird if a bunch of adults just started showing up at a bunch of high schools asking if they can volunteer <laughs> with the GSA. Um, but like, you can do things like write a letter that the teacher can read to the students. You can, you can go to the school and you can make a donation. Lots of GSAs need seed money to do bake sale, to buy the ingredients to do bake sales or uh, things like that. I mean, you can, you can like give them money for slushies on a hot day, right? These kids, like they just want to hang out and talk about anime, you know, and they want to do it in a safe place. And, and like, the, it's super important for them to know that there are, that there are adults everywhere who, who've never met them, who really, really care and, and want them to make it. Do you think there's a place for adults, um, not like is there an argument that one of the best ways to support GSAs perhaps is to, to push back against I mean you talked earlier about the making sure that you aren't making homophobic jokes with your kids mm -hmm. do you think that there's also a need for people to do that with other adults oh absolutely yeah I mean we should be calling out that BS anytime we see or hear it for okay. sure yeah yeah I only raise that because the sometimes it's the small things that can help change people's perceptions. I had a I had a conversation with somebody not too long ago where where they were questioning how a, a kid could possibly know uh, that they were trans at, at fifteen or sixteen, and I I responded by saying, "When when was the first time that that you found yourself getting a little excited looking at a, a picture of a, of a of a lady?" And, and he said, well, I was, my brother always had stuff. So I was like 13. I was like, okay. And, and when was the first time that you got excited letting out a picture of a man? And he said, well, never. And I was like, so I guess you knew pretty young then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, it, I've known that I'm a woman my entire life. There you like, go. <laughs> that's I, I've, I've known it from the beginning. So yeah. like, I don't assume that that's different for a trans woman. I'm sure she knows it just as surely as I do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gender gender happens between our ears, not our legs. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is that everyone knows this intrinsically. We all really do. Because when we watch movies like Freaky Friday, you know, where, where there's this magical brain swap, people understand that who that person is, is happening between their ears. That's, you know, if we well, ever get I'm to the point... That. Yeah, if we ever get to the point where we can actually do brain transplants, it's not, no one's ever going to donate their brain. It's going to be a body donation. And if my brain wound up in the body of someone who had a penis, that wouldn't make me any more of a man than I am now. Who you are is up here. It happens between your ears and everyone knows it. 
that's that's a perfect i can't think of a better better thing to end things on because that that's something and i'm going to use that freaky friday bit because that's that's i haven't heard that one before but i like it awesome um <laughs> i maria i just want to thank you so much uh for being willing to take the time to to chat today um i want to thank you especially i can't even begin to imagine but i mean we, we have an okay audience. There's just like three people. Um, but uh, the you've spoken to Jasperson um, and I have no doubts that this is going to be part of a bigger conversation because I think the more that people realize that it is demonstrable how much of a, a lie was foisted on the province of Alberta in regards to this issue. Um, I think it's going to be a catalyst for a lot of other conversations. So I, it, it, I am, there are so many people, I have no doubts, that they would be happy to look at such a goat show of a situation in their lives and go, it's over, I'm done, peace all. Um, but for you to be willing to come back to it and highlight the issue again because you're concerned about kids and concerned about kids during COVID, I think is, is I, I just want to say thank you for that because I think it's huge. Well, thank you so much for the platform. I really appreciate it. You know, any you. opportunity I have to send the word out to those kids that I love them, I really hope that they hear that. Awesome. Well, we're going to do our best to make sure they that any kids who are listening to it on on our platform. Sorry about the profanity. Uh, <laughs> the, the, hey, listen, I've played cards cards against humanity with these kids. <laughs> You're not corrupting them, believe Perfect. me. Good stuff. Well, <laughs> I, I, we we try to keep it relatively PG over here. So. Uh, <laughs> And that's it for another episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we'd ask that you consider signing up to be one of our supporters at our Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. And if you're listening to the audio version of our podcast, please consider leaving a rating and review because it's those ratings and reviews that help us to get the podcast in front of more people and into more ears. This week, we also want to say a particularly special thank you to all of our current Patreon supporters. We understand that it's a difficult time right now, and for a lot of people, it's trying financial times. And we really appreciate your continued support because it's that support that lets us continue to try to produce the kind of content that we do. To everybody who listened to this episode or watched this episode, we also want to say a very sincere thank you for your attention.